how it lights my path, how it guides my way. We're continuing our journey through Exodus, just a short passage this morning from Exodus chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 14 to 17. Kadim will then be coming to preach on those verses. So Exodus chapter 4, verses 14 to 17. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well, and behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And will teach you what you shall do. He shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be a mouth for you. And you shall be to him as God. And you shall take in your hand this rod with which you shall do the signs. Kadima, you want to come forward? As I I read that passage, I felt that there was maybe more than one person in this congregation um, whose eyes have been a bit clouded when they've been trying to understand what God is saying to them, that there's something in God's Word that is not coming through clearly to you. So I just want to pray that that will unfold to you, Kadim's Word, as he brings it to you this morning. It will unfold those passages, that it, will, that it will remove the clouds from people's eyes this morning, like Aaron made clear to others what Moses was, had been trying to say. Father God, I do pray that you will remove those clouds from people's eyes this morning as Kadim brings your word. May, may he speak clearly, may he speak your word clearly to all of us today. May there be a fresh revelation, fresh understanding of that word brought forward this morning, that people will, uh, that, the, that those clouds will be removed from, the, from their eyes and that they will see what you're trying to say to them more clearly. May you anoint Kadim with the word that you want him to bring today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brilliant. I feel like I've been here enough times now that I don't have to introduce myself all over again. Um, But if you are new here and um, I've never met you before, I want to extend a welcome. Um, And I'm just so glad you're here, particularly if you're someone who's here because you're here for the first time because you haven't known Jesus fully for yourself. And I'm really praying and hoping that you have been seeing something of the beauty of Jesus and that you will continue to see something of his beauty because he is well and truly marvelous. This passage is also well and truly marvelous. It is really incredible. It's incredible because although this passage was written 1,500 years before Jesus ever came on the scene, it just somehow seems to kind of cut straight through the centuries and speak right into the church era. In this picture between Moses and Aaron and God, we see such a clear picture of what it means for the church and particularly what we call body life. And we've already been kind of using this terminology already, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, and I'm sure maybe some of you aren't. 
And it comes from this idea that in the New Testament, the church is often described as the body of Jesus Christ. And because of that image and the idea behind it, there's implications for what it means for me and you to be members of this body. And all of those implications, the practical outworkings of what that means, that's what we describe as body life. But this passage is really incredible because it continues to cut through the centuries, not just to the New Testament era, but right into our day. And it speaks into questions that I'm sure we all have or have had or are asking at some point, like, what is this thing, the church? And what it, why do we do things the way we do them? And what is God's expectation of you if you consider yourselves a part of his family. This passage speaks into all of these things, and this is what we're going to be unpacking around this idea of body life. And there's three things I want to share with you. I think this passage, another reason I think is so incredible, is it seems that somehow I would almost dare to say that in these four verses written 1,500 years before Jesus comes on the scene, it somehow unpacks this idea of body life probably more than any single New Testament passage. I would almost dare to say that. And the three things I think it unfolds for us that is so helpful for us to know if we consider ourselves part of God's family, the church, or if we are thinking and looking in and thinking, oh, maybe I want a piece of that. These three things. First, it is about reflecting God. Second, it's about belonging to one another. And third, it's about being empowered to do more. So this is what we're going to talk about. And so the first one, reflecting God. Do you know, if you've ever read through Exodus chapter 4, and if you remember what is in this chapter, you'd probably agree with me that this chapter is actually a really hard chapter to read. Not because it's complicated, not because of the grammar or anything like that, but because almost every other line, there is some crazy or controversial, or weird, or outrageous statement. You go through it, and you just keep on stopping, and you think you've got through one, and then you arrive at the next. In verse 11, God says, Who makes mankind mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And you think, wow. In verse 21, God says he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he won't let the Israelites go. And the weirdest is verse 24 and verse 25, when it talks about someone cutting with a flint, someone's foreskin, and then rubbing it on someone's feet, and talking about a bridegroom of blood. There's a lot of very weird stuff. And the bad and the good news is, the bad news is, I'm not going to explain any of that to you. (laughs) Because I know that you have a very competent leader named Debbie Laycock who, if you're bothered about this, I'm sure can talk to you about all of these things. The good news is, I'm going to talk about what I think is probably the most outrageous and incredible statement in chapter 4. And it is found in the passage Bruce just read for us. In verse 16, God is talking to Moses and he says, He shall speak for you, talking about Aaron, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. This is incredible if we just stop and thinking about it. He's saying, Moses, you are going to be as God to Aaron. This is an outrageous 
statement and the implications of it that this man, this broken man who's been spending years running away after having murdered someone and God has met with him and said, you are going to be like God to Aaron. This is an incredible statement. But when we think about it, it's actually thoroughly in keeping with the whole message of the Bible. Because when God calls someone and invites them into a relationship with him, he puts his presence in them. He comes and lives within them. More than that, he invests his name and his authority in that person. And as that person spends time in this relationship with God, God's presence starts to rub off on that person and they become more and more like Jesus. They start to look more and more like God and so it makes perfect sense that God would say to Moses, you will be like God. It makes perfect sense that he might look at you and say, in this situation, you need to be like God to that person. And that's why, fast forward into the New Testament, when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, this church, you know, that he planted, he spent a year and a half laboring over in prayer, in preaching, in teaching, in pastoring. And he poured out himself for this church when he left. He continued to pray for them. He continued to send people to check up on how they're doing. He continued to write letters to them. And then, in a moment, they began to reject Paul. They began to say, oh, Paul, we don't need your apostolic leadership. We don't need you. We've got these other apostles. And do you know why? Because they look glamorous. They look good. You look a bit tatty and shabby. But we like these guys. And when Paul writes to them, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And you think, oh, these are Christians. They've been washed by the blood of Jesus. They're reconciled to God. But actually, they're rejecting Paul, a man who the Spirit of God lives in, a man who spends much, much time with Jesus, a man who he has invested his authority and his name in. And by rejecting Paul, they are rejecting God because God, Paul is as God to them. And so that's why he can say, even though they are Christians, be reconciled to God. In another way, be reconciled to me. And you think, okay, Paul, Moses, these are special people, Kadeem. These are the top dogs. These are the creme de la creme. And I agree, they are. But actually, this is for every single one of us. God's vision and his purpose for every single person in this room is that we might be as God to one another and to people out there in the world. This is our created, stated purpose right back in Genesis 1. We make mankind in our image and after our likeness. That means that we were called to reflect God to one another and out there in the world. And this has huge implications for what we have in our mind when we gather together like this on a Sunday. When we gather, it's not to be a spectator of the things that are happening at the front. It's not even just to have your personal devotional time with Jesus. It is to gather together and to behold the face of Jesus, but out of that place to then reflect him to one another. I wonder what you were thinking as you thought about going to church this morning. 
I wonder what your expectations of this gathering was. I wonder if you thought, I'm coming here to reflect Jesus to my brothers and sisters. I'm coming to look for those who need to see Jesus and maybe, Lord, use me that they might see him in my life. That is what God wants. That is what it's about. And of course, we cannot know God apart from reading his word. And of course, we cannot have a relationship with him apart from communing with him in prayer. But equally important, we cannot know God unless there are brothers and sisters reflecting him to us. Do you know, my life is a testimony to that. Some of you guys know that I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And as a teenager, I was involved in gangs and violence and drugs and crime. I lived uh, probably as far away from God as you could get. If you looked at my life, you would say that was it. But I became a Christian. I had an amazing encounter with God. But what do you think? Do you think that my mind needed renewing? in understanding who God was, how he wanted me to relate to him, how he wanted me to relate to others. Of course. And you know, I can tell you, 100%, I learned so much from the word, 100% that I grew because I spent time seeking the Lord and calling on him. But I can tell you for a fact, I can think of relationships and people that I could tell you I would not understand the grace that I was reading about in this book if they had not reflected it to me. I can think of people like Matt and Dave and William, and I know these names mean nothing to you, but these are people who reflected God to me that I could know him. We are called to reflect God to one another. This is an awesome, exciting privilege. You can wake up on a Sunday and think, I'm going to reflect God to David, and I'm going to see something of Jesus in him. That is how we are to be with one another. It is an awesome, exciting privilege, but it is also a great responsibility. Because as I said, I didn't grow up in church, but believe it or not, my mum did. My mum grew up in church because her dad was actually an elder of a church in the Caribbean. And you think, where was the disconnect? My mum grew up in church, she had an elder dad, and I didn't grow up in church. It's because my mum, as a child, correctly saw that this man, her dad, should be reflecting God to her. But she also saw that this man, her dad, was not very good. In fact, he was a horrible person. He was an abusive, neglective dad. He was an unfaithful husband. And the things that my mum saw reflected from this man was not the kind of God that she would want to know. And so she rejected understandably, what she thought God was like. And, you know, even to this day, my mom is not as near to God as I would hope. But I'm so grateful that actually she's been faithful to that principle of expecting a Christian to reflect God. And as she's seen what he's done in my life over the years, I've seen God softening her and pulling down some of the barriers and some of the walls. And now she's open to talk about Jesus. She's open to pray. She's open to come to church because she is seeing God reflected to her in my life. And of course, of course, it is not just to one another that we need to be reflecting God. We need to be reflecting God out there in the world. When I was a teenager, I wasn't in a place that I was ever going to read a Bible I wasn't in a place that I was ever going to really call out to God in prayer. 
But I was in a place that I would be friends with Rebecca and Sandra. And Rebecca and Sandra were the first ever Christians I knew. And they reflected God to me. And their relationship with me, the way they loved me, the way they treated me, the way they had dinner with me, a sinner, that sounds like Jesus. The way they celebrated my birthdays and bought me presents. And of course, it wasn't about the presents. It was about what it reflected. I saw something of God and actually, without knowing it, got me to the place that I was willing in one moment to pick up this book and find out who this God that they worshipped was. We need to be out in the world reflecting God to people who will not who will not pick up a Bible yet, maybe, who will not maybe take a step of foot into church, but will be friends with us and will be willing to see if the God we worship is actually shining through us. Do you know, later on in Exodus, in um, 7 verse 1, it says something very similar. The Lord says to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. This time it's not to Aaron, it's to Pharaoh because the expectation was not just to reflect God to your brothers and sisters, which as important as that is, please believe me, but it's also that we do it out in the world. I was preaching at Southcroft last week and I live just two miles down the road from Southcroft and in between my house and Southcroft is a Lidl. And as I was preaching at Southcroft, I noticed the face, it looked so familiar in the back and it wasn't from Southcroft, it was someone who worked at Lidl. And in that moment, I suddenly thought, have I been reflecting Jesus in Lidl when I'm out shopping? And I, I consoled myself that I had been. <laughs> um, but it just shows the importance that we need to be reflecting Jesus no matter where we are, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your friendships, whether it's connecting with parents at your children's school. Whatever it is, we have this awesome privilege and this high responsibility as people in the body of Jesus Christ, his visible flesh, to be reflecting him wherever we are. The next point I want to talk about is belonging to one another. See, when Paul uses this imagery of the body of Christ and the church members as members of his body, one of the points he stresses again and again is this idea that Christine so helpfully brought out for us is that we depend on one another. We need one another and we need to work together to accomplish anything good for God. And that's seen so beautifully in this passage, isn't it, with Moses and Aaron? God says to Moses, is there not Aaron, your brother? You shall speak to him and put the words in your mouth and he shall speak for you to the people. So God speaking to Moses and Moses speaking to Aaron and Aaron speaking to the people. And there's this beautiful teamwork, this beautiful body life. And even though this came about in some sense as God's plan B because Moses was making a load of excuses, it expresses for us today living in the church age God's plan A vision for what me and you are to do, for how we're to relate to one another, to how we're looking to achieve stuff for God and his kingdom in this world. But sadly, the old expression is true that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. In fact, I read a um, study recently, I think it was based in America, so I don't think we can apply it rigorously, but I'm sure it's very similar. And it says that only 15 people, 15% 15 of people in church are actively involved in helping and serving the life, the mission, and the work of the church. 15 people, 15%, sorry. That means 85% of people are not 
they're coming to church as spectators and as consumers. And I know that's probably not the case in Ichthus, but I also know that we could be doing so much more as a body, as the body of Jesus, depending on one another, looking to partner with one another. And you know, the answer is not just to say, okay, let's all work together. I'm going to organize a rota and a structure, and it's going to be great. Everyone's going to sign up. Your name's going to be here, and we're going to get this thing going. That might be a great aspiration for the world, but actually the Lord is calling his body, the church, to something so much deeper. He is calling us to belong to one another. Do you know, saying, oh, I've got something here, you can use it. That's helping one another. Saying, I've got something here, it's yours. That's belonging to one another. And when Paul is unpacking this idea of body life in Romans 12, he says, in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the other. We need to not think that our vision is just to work together. God's vision is that we belong to one another. Do you know, I've recently moved out of our house. Me and Rachel, we were living in a one-bed flat, renting a one-bed flat in Mitcham. And the Lord put it on our heart that we would move into a two-bedroom flat so that we could have a particular person who we know who's vulnerable to come and live with us. And unfortunately, we haven't found this two-bedroom flat yet. But in the meantime, we're living with our congregation leaders. Some of you will know them, Andrew and Biz Boyle. And you know, I've been so blessed and I've seen Jesus, going back to the first point, in the way Andrew and Biz have opened up their house to us. And you know, they've said, basically, you can come in and stay in our spare room, cost-free, no, no time limit, as long as you want. And you know, I think that's amazing. But I think that in and of itself is helping one another. You know, maybe they believe in the vision that we want to have someone vulnerable come and live with us, and they're working together, so they've got a spare room, and they're saying, come and live with us. It probably doesn't cost them financially um, that much for us to live with them. But their love has gone so much further than that. I can tell you, in the four weeks we've been living with them, there has not been a single time where I have felt like I am in their way, and I know they've gone out of their way to make me feel like that. I know in those four weeks, they've gone out of their way to make us feel like we are no more va less valuable than any other person living in that room. I know they've gone out of their way to make it feel like we're doing them a favor by living with them. In fact, they're so good at it, I've started to believe it. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm actually being dead serious. But it's not just for the Andrew and Bizzes of this world. It's not just for the congregation leaders. It's not just for the 15%. This idea of going deeper to the sense that we belong to one another, that is what Andrew and Biz have shown to us, not just helping us out, but they have said that what is ours is yours. We belong to you and you belong to me. That is what they've said, and that is what the Lord is calling his church, his body, into. If you look around, and I actually want you to look around, look at the people around you. You belong to them, and they belong to you. That might blow your mind. Maybe you don't know a lot of these people, but the same is true. If, the, if you consider yourself a part of God's family here in Forest Hill, you belong to them, and they belong to you. 
when God says to Moses about Aaron, did you, I don't know if you noticed what he says. He says, and he shall be your mouth. That sounds like belonging to me. That sounds like Aaron's mouth belongs to Moses, and he will say what Moses wants him to say. It is a high calling, but we all know, don't we, and I'm sure there's so many testimonies amongst this place of how beautiful it is when there's a group of people who catch hold of that vision of belonging to one another. I'm sure we can all think of amazing testimonies when we've seen the church at its finest, everyone contributing, everyone giving of themselves to see something beautiful happen for God. I want to tell you one story of when I was on a trip to Moldova. So I, I, when we trained at Bible school, the um, part of the training was that we had to go on an overseas trip. And we, I chose to go to Moldova. We were with um, the organization OM. And OM in Moldova basically partners with local churches in small villages just to come alongside them and support whatever they're doing. And one in one village, we met this amazing pastor called Pedro. And Pedro had such a burden for the village he lived in. It was quite small, probably about 2,500 people lived in this village. And he truly was an example of someone who said, I belong to this village. He didn't just work there. He didn't just serve them. He belonged to them. And on this trip, it happened to be the time when he had heard of a woman in this village whose roof had fallen in. I'm pretty sure she was a widow, although I can't, I'm not saying that for certain, I can't remember. But her roof had fallen in. She had no one to help her. And he had heard through the grapevine. She didn't even go to his church. But she, he had heard through the grapevine that she was praying for a new roof. Because she didn't have money. Um, I don't know if you know much about Moldova. I didn't know anything about it before I went. But it, it's in between Romania and Mold, um, Ukraine. And it's actually one of the poorest nations in Europe. And so the implication is she didn't have any money. But Pedro heard about her prayer, and he said to himself, I'm going to be the answer to her prayer. Because he believed that he belonged to this village, and therefore he belonged to her. And actually, Pedro didn't have any money either. But he did. He was actually a kind of handyman. He used to build houses before he became a pastor. And so he knew, saw what he had, and he thought, I'm going to be the answer to this woman's prayer. But he didn't have any money. But then there was a guy, and I wish I could remember his name. He was a great guy from Switzerland, and he was kind of the OM leader of the work in Moldova. He had come over from Switzerland, and he had said, do you know what? I belong to the churches of Moldova. I'm going to give myself to them. And he knew Pedro well. He was the reason we were visiting them. And he heard of Pedro's burden for this woman, and he said, do you know what? I know people back home in Switzerland and I know I can raise money for this woman's house and so he put some feelers out back in Switzerland and these people in Switzerland I don't know them but I can guarantee you these were people who said that we're in a prosperous nation and we belong to the church that means the church worldwide and that means where part of the church is financially poor we belong to them and they gave money and they raised enough money, I think it was 600 pounds for this woman to get her roof for the materials to come. And we, to be honest, we were so blessed and 
um, just sw sw swapped in at the last minute and took a load of credit for <laughs> something we didn't do. As a team, we ended up in this place at the time when all of this happened to be coming together. And we were able to help. Pedro was very gracious. He probably didn't need our help at all. He was great at building buildings. And he came and let us partake. But actually, it was a beautiful testimony to this woman that these people had come all the way from the other side of the country, not because from the world, not because they were great, but because God had heard her prayer. And us belonging to the church and the, the, the people in Switzerland belonging to the church and the guy in Moldova belonging to Pedro and Pedro belonging to this woman meant that all this came together. And as we were there, this woman who had been praying and didn't know anyone knew of her prayers got a new roof and she saw an answer to her prayer in all of these people that she didn't know on the other side of the world coming together to bring it in. And this is actually a picture of Pedro putting in the last panel of the roof. It was a beautiful moment. My point is that when we belong to one another, amazing stuff happens. Think about how that woman felt. It was amazing. Lastly, I want to talk about being empowered to do more. And it's the idea that when we belong to Jesus' body, he wants to empower our bodies to do more than they are otherwise able to do. We can have that expectation. And that's what we see with Moses and Aaron. God says, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth i.e. I will empower your words. I will be helping you in the areas you cannot do yourself. And that's what we see, you know, as we go on and read in Exodus, and I'm sure you know the story, I'm sure you know Moses comes and God does a load of plagues in Egypt, and each time Moses and Aaron go up to Pharaoh and they say, God, he says, God says, let my people go, and Pharaoh eventually says no and says yes. And actually, if you see, in the first three plagues, Aaron goes up to Pharaoh and says, God, let my people go. From the fourth plague onward, Aaron kind of drifts to the background and Moses starts speaking to Pharaoh. And you think, hold on, this is the Moses who said just a couple of verses earlier that, oh, I can't speak, I'm not eloquent, and I've got a heavy mouth, a heavy tongue. But actually, God was empowering him to speak. And, you know, I don't know if Eva... Moses was just making excuses originally, and actually he could speak, but he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. Or maybe he actually had some kind of speech impediment. I don't know which one it is, but I know either way, God empowered him in his inability. And it is the same for us today. Do you know, maybe as I've been speaking, I've been sharing something of God's vision for this church, for his church in general that you've been thinking, that sounds great, but actually there's something in you that says that I can't take part in that. Or maybe you feel that's just for the specialists. That's just for the people who are trained. That's just for the people who are good at this or good at that. And whether that is legitly because of an inability you have, a physical inability, a mental inability, emotional inability, or whether that's just an excuse, either way, God can empower you to do more. And he wants to. I want to tell you two stories. Um, one is of someone called David Ring. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's quite a famous evangelist. He's an American. He's probably about 70 years old by now. And David Ring, growing up, had a really tough shot at life. 
He was actually a stillborn baby for 18 minutes when he came out of his mother's womb. And actually, that meant, even though God done a miracle when he lived, it meant that he lived with cerebral palsy. And as I'm sure many of you know, that means huge physical inability. And it also means huge speech inability. Not only that, but when David was 11, his dad died of cancer. When he was 14, his mum died of cancer. And of course, he became so depressed. His words, he would say that for the next two years, he tried to commit suicide every other day. He stopped engaging with school. He left school. He was bullied all the time. And you think at his life and you look at how emotionally, physically, relationally, socially damaged he was. And if you were to pick any single person in the world at that time who you would say is not going to be a preacher, an evangelist, you might pick David Ring. And as a Christian, even once he came to know the Lord, people would still look at him and say, you're not going to be a preacher. You're not going to be an evangelist, even when he expressed his desire to. But David Ring today has preached in over 6,000 churches around the world. And you can still hear he has such problems with his speech, but actually God has empowered him to do more. I want you to know that these things that you're reading in Exodus are happening today. God is really able to do it. So that's an example of when someone has had a real physical, emotional, social inability and God has empowered them. I want to give you a story from my life of when actually the inability has been maybe a bit of an excuse or maybe just something that I've created myself that God has been able to empower me past. And it is with my sister-in-law, Hannah. So Hannah is a really lovely, lovely girl. She has shown me so much love in welcoming me into the family, and she's great. She's just a year older than me. And the thing is with Hannah is that she goes to church, but she doesn't really follow after Jesus. And that has been a burden on my heart ever since I've known her. And I pray for her as often as I remember, and I try to speak to her about Jesus. But to be honest, it kind of got to the point where I've started convincing myself that every time I speak to her, she's just thinking, oh, Kadeem is always banging on about Jesus, and has kind of shut off about it. And I've got so much in my own head that I've just felt unable to have any fruitful conversation with her because I'm overthinking. I'm thinking, oh, have I spoken to her too much about Jesus? Do I need to speak to her about something else first for a little bit and then speak about Jesus? And I, I get in my own head and I just felt so unable to help her along when I feel this burden for where she's at. And so one morning I was praying for Hannah. Her and her boyfriend, now husband, was on my heart and I was praying for her and expressing to Lord, the Lord, I just, I just feel so unable, Lord, would you break in? Would you do something? And in that moment, I saw a picture. It was of this train. I saw it so clearly, a train rushing past at high speed. And on one of the carriages of the train, there was all these dollar signs. And then shortly after I saw this picture, I felt an interpretation come to me. And I felt the Lord say that Hannah at work feels like she has just lost a lot of money. And it's a very specific picture, isn't it? And do you know, sometimes God speaks in very general pictures. And it's the kind of picture, you know, not much is on the line if you share it, because even if it wasn't from God, it's going to encourage someone. It's going to be true nonetheless. And then there's the very specific pictures that it's kind of, this is either blatantly right or blatantly wrong. This was one of those pictures. It was either blatantly right and blatantly wrong. And I've already had this kind of weird relationship with her where I wonder if she thinks I speak too much about Jesus. And 
I was just thinking, oh, I have to share this with her. I can't not. And so what I done is I got my phone out. I recorded a WhatsApp voice message, sent it to her, and then turned my phone off straight away because I was so anxious about what she was going to say. I felt so just, yeah, so in my own head. I turned my phone off. By the time I had mustered up strength to turn it back on, I got a message from her. And believe it or not, she said, do you know what, Kadeem? This is incredible because this week I just lost my work, 40,000 pounds, and I've been worrying about what is going to happen. And that started this beautiful conversation around the fact that God so clearly sees her life and is interested in her life and has the power to change things. And it was probably the first fruitful conversation I felt like I've ever had with her. But the point is that in the inability that I had created in my own self, my own anxiety, my own questioning, my own doubts, my own excuses, God is able to empower us to do more. This is what church life is about. It's about belonging to one another so that we could reflect God to one another and out into the world whilst he empowers us to do more than we can imagine. And what I want to do is I want to pray for us. Um, As I was thinking about a response, you know, I believe a lot in responses. I believe in praying as a response to some things. But I felt on my heart was that actually I don't want to kind of lead us into a time of prayer and kind of being prayed for specific things, I just felt that actually this is the kind of thing we just need to act on. Because one of the things I'm a big believer of is that I don't want to put a limit on how God works and he can do amazing things in different ways. But in general, if we want to expect God to show up in our lives, to reflect who he is through us, to empower us to do more, Actually, we need to be stepping out already. We need to be expressing our desire for him to do that with our actions. And so I just want to encourage you. I'm going to pray for you as a congregation. But I just want to encourage you, start putting it into practice. Start putting yourself into a position where God can use you. So why don't we all stand just as an act of wanting to receive from the Lord. And I'm going to pray for us. And then maybe we'll go back into a song of worship. Yeah. I just want to say as well, I, I, I want to pray for you, not as someone who feels like I've got it sorted or that I'm a perfect example of these things, but I just know the Lord's vision for his church and whether I'm fully living out yet myself or not, I just believe that as we call on him for that, he answers and he responds to those prayers. And so I want to encourage you that as I'm praying to be calling out to him in your own heart as well and maybe the particular things that he said to you or has challenged you to be speaking to him about them. So, Lord, we're so grateful, Lord, for who you are. We're so grateful, Lord, that you've invited us to be part of your family, Lord. And we're sorry for the times when we think that it is we're doing you a favor by coming to church, Lord. We're sorry for all the times when we think church is just something to come to, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your vision for your people is so much more deeper and more beautiful. Lord, we're sorry for the times when we're just so stuck in our own minds, our own thoughts, our own lives, Lord. Thank you that even then you're calling us to something far more beautiful. You still are persevering with us. You're still gracious towards us, Lord. You're still wanting to work through us, Lord. And I thank you that there is 
something that you want to do and use gifts that you're putting in and wanting to empower in each and every single person in this room, Lord. And I want to pray, Lord, as we reach out to you in our hearts, Lord, that you would show us how to walk in those, Lord. I want to pray that as we reach out to you in our hearts, Lord, that we would have a boldness and a confidence to go forward in these things, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you would be so gracious, Lord, just where we are, stuck in our own thoughts and um, our own heads, our own excuses, Lord. And, you know, they're very legitimate excuses often as well, Lord, that the world batters us around and the devil is just constantly trying to hold us down, Lord. And there are legitimate things to be um, occupied with in our minds, Lord. But Lord, by your grace, would you give us hope, Lord, for being used by you, Lord? Would you give us hope for being val valuable contributors towards what you're doing through this people here in Forest Hill, Lord Jesus? I also just want to pray for um, anyone who's here and who hasn't given their life to Jesus, who doesn't know that they are a part of his family. And... While our eyes are closed, um, and I want to encourage you to close your eyes if you're not already, but while our eyes are closed, if you know that's you, if you're here and you haven't received Jesus into your, his, your life, you haven't been welcomed into his family, I just want to encourage you to just open your palms and just put them out. Just as a sign of saying, yes, Lord, that's what I want. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you invite us in, Lord. We thank you that you invite us into your family to belong there forever. Thank you that you invite us into what you're doing, Lord, in this world, that you invite us to be a part of it. You invite us, Lord, to be used miraculously. You invite us to be used in very natural, normal ways, Lord. And I just want to pray, Lord, for anyone who is calling on you now, Lord, to, to, to ask to be part of your family, Lord. I want to pray that you would give them an assurance, Lord, that you are a good, welcoming God, that your arms are wide open, that you say to them, come, come, my son has paid the price. And Lord, we want to pray that you would fill them with your spirit, Lord, that they would know that they are a part of your family now. And I want to pray you would give them boldness, Lord, to own that identity, to speak to others about it. Amen. Let your